You are listening to the podcast of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. CBMW exists to promote the Bible's teaching on men, women, and marriage. Learn more at cbmw.org. The Nashville Statement is a confessional document released by CBMW in 2017. Since its release, the Nashville Statement has been signed by over 25,000 evangelical pastors, scholars, and leaders, as well as adopted and affirmed by evangelical churches and institutions across the world. In this podcast series, we are walking through each of the 14 articles of the Nashville Statement as we discuss the statement's biblical basis and ethical implications with Denny Burke, president of CBMW and one of the principal authors of this statement. Today, we are tackling Article 7. I'm Colin Smothers, executive director of CBMW. And my name is Denny Burke. I'm the president of CBMW. Article 7 states this. We affirm that self-conception as male or female should be defined by God's holy purposes in creation and redemption, as revealed in Scripture. We deny that adopting a homosexual or transgender self-conception is consistent with God's holy purposes in creation and redemption. Denny, uh, if I remember correctly, I think Article 7 was perhaps the most controversial alongside Article 10 of the Nashville Statement. Why was that? Articles 7 and 10, I think, by far were the most controversial, at least of the ones that we got the most blowback about. Um, We'll talk about Article 10 later. I I would argue that Article 10 was the most controversial with people outside of Christianity, and that uh, Article 7 was the most controversial with folks inside of, of Christianity. And really, the reason Article 7 became so... Uh, such a lightning rod was because I think many people perceived it to be a direct challenge to the so-called gay Christian celibate gay Christian movement. And uh, that's a wide ranging uh, group of people represented in that. You've got Roman Catholics, you've got Protestants, you've got um, people that are more conservative ish to other people who are definitely more uh, progressive intersectional woke. (laughs) I mean, so so you've got this whole gamut there, but they did feel that this was taking aim at them and they felt this, the sting of it, I think the most. So if, if folks are not familiar with this conversation, the celibate gay Christian uh, movement is sometimes called the side B movement. If you've ever heard this terminology of side A and side B, you had uh, folks who would identify as homosexual who were also wishing to identify as Christian. And amongst themselves, they designated two ways of of referring to themselves based on their different views about the moral status of homosexuality. Side A were people who affirmed that homosexuality was compatible with walking with Jesus. And side B were those who would not affirm that. They would say, no, you have to be, you, you can't engage in same-sex activity and be a disciple of Christ. And so they they were non-affirming, quote-unquote, in, in, in the side B camp. But what also sort of arose in the side B camp was this idea that you, even though you're not going to engage in same-sex behavior, embracing a gay identity, embracing a same-sex attraction as having some sort of usefulness or sanctifiability, it's not altogether fallen, Those ideas also began to crop up in the Side B movement, and they viewed Article 7 as taking aim at at them. And I think that they're right about that, because there are certain ideas in the Side B celibate gay Christian movement that we were meaning to address with this statement. 
this was a conversation that had gone on for over a decade, right? Something that you had contributed to. I'm thinking of your book with Heath Lambert, Transforming Homosexuality, and really around the moral status, not just of gay practice, but gay identity. And so Article 7 is trying to address that, correct? Exactly. Even though we don't use the word identity, uh, we mentioned this on one of our previous podcasts because this term comes up there as well. But we use the word self-conception in Article 7. So Article 7 again says, We affirm that self-conception as male or female should be defined by God's holy purposes in creation and redemption. And then we say we deny that adopting a homosexual or transgender self-conception is consistent with God's holy purposes in creation and redemption. We use the word self-conception where a lot of folks would have used the term identity. And we did it for a reason, because the identity language has gotten freighted. And originally, some of the original drafts of the national statement did use the term identity. But when we got to Nashville, and really when we got feedback from participants before we got to Nashville, we heard from folks who said, you know, identity is kind of a slippery term. And it, it, it can mean social identity, it can mean your self-ID, it can mean uh, constructed identity. And so folks were concerned that it wouldn't be, it, it just wouldn't be specific enough. And so we were actually reading through, I was, uh, either you, maybe it was you, I can't remember who it was, it was one of the two of us. I yeah, was I, I was reading an Alistair Roberts blog. Yeah, that's what it was. You were reading some essay from Alistair Roberts where he had used the term self-concept. And we talked about it, and we thought, you know, that might get at exactly what we were trying to get at with identity. We weren't trying to say all these ideologically freighted things with the term identity. What we were really talking about was just the way that a person thinks of themselves, the way they construe themselves as in terms of what they are. And so we thought that the term self-concept would get at that a little more clearly, perhaps, than identity. And when we brought it to the group, uh, when we were uh, deliberating over the final drafts, we ended up with the term self-concept. Right. That term also appears in Article 5, which is the, the episode that we talked about that as well. But the idea there is you're conceiving of yourself actively. It's not just a passive construal, something that someone's assigned to you, but some, the way that you think of yourself and how you are in the world. And this article says that that self-concept as male or female should be defined by God's holy purposes in creation and redemption. I think those two words are really, really important. Oh, ab- absolutely. And, and, and here's the thing, one more thing about self-concept. By saying that, by using this idea of self-concept and, and that it's, we're, we're implying that there's moral agency in that. In other words, it, it, how you think about yourself and what you believe about what you are that is morally implicated. You know, the, the God has revealed to us the way we are supposed to think about ourselves. And so that certainly is a part of this conversation about sexuality and gender identity. So it, it, it really is because what a lot of people are doing is they're rejecting what God has revealed about what they are as his image bearers, as male and female. And so that's why we were saying that your self-construal about your identity is very much connected to your discipleship as a Christian. Yeah, I think the heart of the question is, we could put it sort of in generic terms, why, if I'm a Christian who experiences same-sex attraction, why shouldn't I call myself a gay Christian? Why does Article 7 put that outside of the bounds of, you know, what we think is faithful to what's revealed in Scripture? That kind of language is... It's speaking ontologically. It's talking about what you think you are. 
Now, there could be some limited sense in which a person could say that they're a, a gay Christian in the sense that you're a fallen human, right? In other words, homosexuality, to the extent that you would experience that, would be a part of your fallenness. It'd be a part of what's sinful. It's just that Christians typically haven't described their IDs in that way. So you know, every if every man who had adulterous thoughts walked around saying, I'm an adulterous Christian, it'd be completely misleading as to who he is and what he was designed for. And so we don't really do that with other sins. Now, we do say that we, we do with other sins say that we have struggles, profound struggles, but we don't self-ID that way in a way that would suggest that what I'm feeling in terms of a sinful impulse like adultery, homosexuality, uh, covetousness, you know, whatever it is, we don't want to speak in such a way as if those um, proclivities are somehow good or right or what God made us for. And so that's, that's the key thing. Right. I think that those two words, again, in the affirmation, God's holy purposes in creation and redemption, they really do give us the framework for how, as Christians, we ought to think of ourselves made by God in His image, and also being redeemed, our fallenness, being redeemed by God and heading for the new heavens and new earth. Uh, absolutely. And so when you think of those terms, creation and redemption, creation, we would link with what theologians sometimes call natural law or creation order. And then redemption is what theologians will associate with special revelation, God's saving work through Christ, the gospel. In both of those ways of God's manifesting his truth to us, they're both yelling at us what God made us for. <laughs> they're, they're, they're telling us that there is a design in God's creation that, and that that design has been disordered. For anybody with eyes to see, they can see that unless they're suppressing that truth. And that they're really made for something else. Now, we, we, don't, we can't know everything we need to know about being saved just by looking at creation. So we need bo both categories, right? We need both the revelation in nature and the revelation in, in the gospel in order to grasp all of this. But both of those sources of revelation are pointing us to, um, to God's design and pointing us to holiness and what it means to follow Christ. And so that, that's what we're trying to get at with, with this. One of the ways we could say this is Christian affirmation is that you are certainly more than your body, but you're not less than your body. You are male or female, and you can look at the way that God's designed yourself as male-oriented to female, female as oriented to male, and then the way that God is redeeming the fallen aspects of creation uh, in His purposes, and that is just inconsistent, to, at the very least, with any kind of a gay identity. And that's why in the denial we say that adopting a homosexual, a transgender self-conception is consistent with God's holy purposes. I know that we're, there was some... We deny that it's consistent. All right, yeah. we, we deny that. Um, there, was, there was some debate on, on that term adopting. Why do we land on, on that word, adopting, instead of some other, other word? Yeah, so s some people complained at the time that, oh, look, you can't just recognize that you have certain sinful struggles, and some people happen to have homosexual temptations as a part of their particular fallen fallenness that they have to struggle with, just like some people struggle with heterosexual Im immorality and, um, you know, other kinds of sins. Some people have that. They, they can't speak it. They can't describe their sin 
temptation patterns, you know, in ways that are honest. That's not at all what we meant about this. What we were trying to say was that it's not that you can't recognize that you have certain sin proclivities or sin patterns. It's you. It's that you don't want to adopt that in the sense of embracing that as a part of your what God made you to be as a, as a part of what's good about you in, instead of that which is fallen and needs to be redeemed about you. So adopting there is more talking about embracing. And so here's, I mean, the, the language is very careful. We say that our self-conception as male or female should be defined by God's holy purposes. So when we use purpose language, we're talking about design. We're talking about order. And it's God has design and order in both creation and in what he's doing in in redemption. In creation, you can look at the male and the female body and see that they're designed for certain ends. And you can tell that um, the reproductive structures are not meant to be united with the digestive structures. It's just that that's a part of what's written into the design of creation. Um, what is also revealed there is that reproductive structures are meant to go with a man's reproductive structures are meant to to pair with a woman's reproductive structures in such a way that they can produce offspring. Um, this is one of God's purposes in creation that even if you've never had a Bible at all in your life and you've never read a word from Scripture, everybody can read that revelation from God. This is what Romans 1 is talking about when it talks about that which is known about God has been clearly seen through what has been made. You can know things about God's intention and about who God is even just by looking at what has been made. And so there are certain design elements that are revealed just through creation. Now, we know further because of God's revelation in the gospel and in scripture that God intends for us, not just generically for male and female to come together sexually, we know that he intends for them to come together in the covenant of marriage and that that covenant of marriage is pointing to the marriage of Christ and his church, which means that there's fidelity and chastity that we're committed to, uh, with, within our, our marriage, uh, covenants. So it's not just willy nilly, any man, any woman together. It's one man, one woman in the covenant of marriage. And so homosexuality both in its homosexual orientation, its desires, its attractions, and in its behavior, that's, that, that is falling short of God's holy purposes in creation and redemption. And then self-IDing or, or, or having adopting and embracing a self-concept that would say that these are somehow goods that either, and I'm talking about either behavior or um, the desires that people would feel for the same sex to, to say that those can somehow be goods or things that are sanctifiable is totally missing the, the point of scripture and what God has revealed in creation. And we get into the more of the specifics around the question of transgenderism later, but it's adopting a homosexual or transgender self-conception. And we deny that that's consistent with God's holy purposes in creation and redemption. Yeah. So, and, and we're in, in saying this, we're not denying that there might be some person for whatever reason are having real psychological difficulties with their body. They feel at odds with their own body and they feel like they wish their body was the opposite sex. And so they're, so they could, in other words, we're not denying that people experience in the fallen world, these self conflicts, 
Uh, we, we know that that happens in the world. What we're denying is that embracing that as normal or as a part of God's design is anything that a Christian could do or should do. Um, in fact, it's what we must not do. So when, when we feel that our minds are at odds with our bodies, what's clearly revealed in the body, we would argue, and we think the scripture argues that our mind is lying to us and our body is telling the truth about what God's holy purposes are for us. That's right. And just to conclude with with a positive statement here, this is all for for the good of the human person. The better we apprehend God's good designs for us, the better we apprehend God's good plan for us, that will work out for our good and for the good of those around us. Amen, absolutely. You know, and the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, in verse 22, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So that's God's holy purpose of redemption right there. He wants you to be holy and blameless and beyond reproach, which means you're going to embrace everything that he's revealed to be true about you. And you're going to repent of notions, ideas, feelings that are not true about you. And if God has, called, has designed you to be a male, you're going to embrace that. If he's designed you to be a female, you're going to, you're going to embrace that and not rebel against it. Amen. Resources like the CBMW podcast are made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider giving at cbmw.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening.